that's kind of what, again, I won't yeah. argue with any more questions, but I'm just curious, um, just because it's an area of philosophical interest in mind, the mind-body relation um, is, is one of my, you know, sort of areas of research and, um, and philosophy. And um, it, I, I just get the impression that the use of, uh, and this is why I was wondering, because it doesn't sound as though for you, um, the idea of drug therapies and um people as brain chemistry is in any way at odds with the idea of people as spiritual beings. And I get the impression um, that the psychological community, like most communities, I guess now professionals in most fields, um, tends to sort of start from the sort of materialistic presumption about consciousness um, so that, you know, they see what I would call, or maybe what traditionally traditional cultures would call a spiritual problem as a brain chemistry problem, right? So the idea is, well, the only, you know, so all you need to do, if all people are is brain chemistry, if that's all our hopes and dreams and thoughts and, and feelings are, all you need to do is manipulate the brain chemistry a little bit and poof, there goes the problem. Am I, is that wrong? I, because that's the impression that I get that the, the psychiatric community probably most of the medical community um, feels about that about that mind-body relation. Is that not the case? Oh, no, I have to be careful who I talk to about the stuff I do. Oh, really? Oh, oh so yeah. it really is that way. Oh, well, okay. I mean, so I'd love to hear what other people think of this. For me, as long as you're alive physically, you have a brain and you have brain chemistry. Yeah. So it's part of your spirituality. Spirituality mm -hmm. is everything. It comes through your organism. And your right. organism, just like we were saying, we're each individual, even though we're all made of the same stuff and we're connected, but at the same time, we're individual. So I have a different experience. I mean, I get teased because I'm colorblind. Not totally, but shades drive me nuts. So <laughs> I clearly see the world differently than my wife does. I've stopped worrying about that. I mean, I can, I can, I can make myself have a debate in my head, I guess. But it's kind of like, as long as I'm alive, my brain is going to be involved. All of me is going to be involved. My gut, my brain, whatever. If you screw around with that, it will affect the experience I have of relationships, including spiritual. So, could I have? If you monkey with my brain. Can I have a spiritual experience? Yes. And if I have a spiritual experience, has something changed in my brain? Absolutely. And there's good research behind that. Well, if my TV doesn't work, I'm not, I'm not gonna watch my favorite British mystery show. Does that mean the British mystery show doesn't exist? Just means my right. TV is not working. The curiosity is, is that I have, I have a lot of friends who are either secular humanists, atheists, or rationalists. And the whole point of verbalizing spirituality is that the unseen, there's no verifiable proof. It's a matter of the heart. And you're not gonna, you're not gonna posit some theorem, I don't think, maybe you will, but like, I don't think you're gonna posit some theorem that's gonna prove the existence of God. And yet, I think that for some or many, there's a deep intrinsic heart knowing or heart feeling or heart hoping that that is the case, that, that we are governed by a sovereign that is unseen, you know? 
And so I wanted to, I wanted to segue into a, a question about, you know, the theme for today is spirituality. What is it? But I wanted, I, I really wanted to ask, um, and I, I wanted, if I could ask Chris Barbera and Buffalo, where does service fit into this? How does service fit into spirituality? It's interesting you're asking a direct question and making a segue when it's like, I was thinking like there's like it's such a stream of thought that is going on and like at what point am I going to choose to jump into this stream and at what point like all the streams in my in my thought process or my emotional being like which one am I going to articulate um, and the other five of you um, like uh, each of you have said a uh, 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 richness and and which aspect of, of which part of which being am I going to address and, and, and instruct, you know, so it's, it's very interesting. Um, uh, so I want to honor all of you uh, for this incredible um, conversation we're having. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, the, I mean, the intuitive being, you know, that Betty was talking about as well, and the, the feeling thing, uh, I was feeling too, but uh, so your direct question, um, where does service fit in? Um, I guess is somewhat related to the question of ethics and spirituality, uh, perhaps um, that uh, to act and and maybe Sarah or somebody uh, it was from the Buddhist uh, right action, you know to to do right actions. So I guess like service and um, and ethics would go together in in terms of the question of spirituality. Well, I know Chris, you and I have spoken um, at length both uh, personally and on, on um, previous episodes of Unraveling Religion, you really instructed me about the, the service-oriented uh, scriptures of the Bhagavad Gita talk about. What, is, what was that called? The serv- you taught me this and I forgot. Well, it's not Jinnah. Jinnah, you taught me the different forms of... Uh, Bhakti-yoga. Bhakti. Bhakti. Is, it sir- is that Bhakti's service? Well, and, and again, uh, something harkening back to what Sarah was talking about, like the construct, like uh, religions are systems of thought, you know, and it's, um, and I think the systems of thought ultimately like reveal, like um, get back into the heart center, like bring our mind back into the heart center and the being. Um, so these are just systems of thought, but I think they're valuable as well. Um, but my understanding of it, there's there, uh, different forms of yoga yoga meaning like linking up to god like our linking to ultimate reality or however we define what that is so there are different forms of yoga uh that is being like uh the path the path of knowledge the path of service the path of devotion and the path of contemplation those are the four that i'm aware of that are defined through um bhakti yoga jinnah yoga karma yoga raja yoga um, and so like each individual has all of those within them, but either at different times in our life or, uh, one of them like stands out more than others. Um, so karma yoga would be the path of service. Yeah. And where does that fit in? Where does that fit in with our practical action oriented spirituality that we've kind of like explored today? If I could, um, just speak to one of the ways that service shows up for me. Um, I think that when we're in relationship, we are by definition in service Um, in a way, you know, it can be in the one-on-one kind of relationships. It can be in larger scale 
types of projects or that sort of thing. But um, I don't know. There, there's that MLK quote about service that we all have the power for greatness because we all have the power to serve. And I think that um, that really resonated with me when I was younger and has been kind of a constant in my mind. It's like not greatness in terms of being dominant or being powerful over others, but recognizing your power with and power to are the kinds of greatness that resonate at a heart level. And it's in the smallest little interactions sometimes where I recognize the ways that I've had influence, right? And like right now we're in a culture where influence is really at the center of so many things, right? Who has the most followers and who's getting the most celebrity or who's being, you know, who's lighting up the the interwebs. And like um, I recently watched a few things that made me think a lot about this and how identity is shaped and how people are, you know, compelled to invent personas in order to maximize that kind of influence. But then in the ways that I have experienced impact that I recognize as real, like transformative power is in very, it's like really small ways, just in knowing that I'm trusted by people who have no reason in, in a culture that is as fragmented as ours is to trust me at all. As you know, I'm a, I'm a white woman who works with a lot of black, brown and indigenous kids. I have deep, deep relationship with them. It was not easy. It was really uncomfortable, right? But the rest of the, when I'm out in the, like last night, I went out with a, one of my former uh, participants from one of my programs and <laughs> we just had the best time. But people look at us and it's like, not shocking exactly, but they just seem confused. Like, how is it possible <laughs> that these people are friends, right? And then there's just these moments of eye contact and, and like touch and hugging and whatever, like just shared experience and knowledge and trust between us that that pass through that. Like we see what's going on and that's service, right? That's that being in someone's life in a way that they know they can trust you when the rest of the world is saying you can't trust anyone. Um, and that all you have is your own brand, your own image, your own influence. I really want to be able to, like, I'm trying to figure out how to teach it, right? Because <laughs> the relationship arts um, as a, you know, how to build your skills. Um, but the first thing has to be will, right? And the will is where service comes. I think it's like, you have to know that we are, we're here to serve our, each other, not just ourselves. That raises the the quality of of all of our interactions and brings spirit and heart work to the center of the world. Like it's, I don't know, our capacity increases um, exponentially when we are in trusting, loving um, relationships that are full of joy and fun and that serves the world. And just briefly, when we were talking earlier about um, uh, brain chemistry and such, like somebody, Somebody texted me on the phone, uh, and this goes into service as well, but they're looking for this. Did you see that book, uh, Pedagogy of the Oppressed? Like they're looking for a book from this place. Um, so it's interesting. It, yeah, but I'm, I'm saying that because um, that had nothing to do with my brain chemistry in the sense of like, that's something outside of myself, some person who's miles and miles away from me uh, that just 
maybe intuitively tapped into this kind of conversation. And then at that moment felt the need to text me at that particular moment when we were talking about this particular thing. So that's like a kind of synchronicity that I feel is beyond simple mechanics of material brain chemistry. Um, and then the, the, the final thing I'll say at this moment uh, about service, uh, for me, it was about, um, like I was just thrown into it from an, the earliest age. Like uh, for instance, the, the metaphor of like, if I have a loaf of bread, I'll give that loaf of bread to somebody else. But in time I had to learn like, well, let me break the bread and give half to you and half to me. Because I was like always like uh, from a Christian perspective, the, the phrase like lose your life in order to gain it. And I, I took that quite literally of like, um, and it got into uh, on a psychological thing, low self-esteem where my life is not as valuable as the life of everybody external to me. And I always had to learn, like, there is a spiritual principle to that of like, um, but there's also a, a principle of like, I'm, I'm very sensitive spiritual people uh, to be careful not to, uh, to give everything away. I think, Chris, that you bring up a, an important point in that my way of verbalizing it is to say balance, maintaining balance is important. And regarding service, we chatted about the um, connectedness and, and relationship aspect of spirituality or that spiritual, spirituality is relationships and, and con connections. And for me personally, when I'm serving, I'm joyful. And when I'm connected, when my relationship with my inner self is connected and healthy and balanced, I'm joyful. And when I serve others, I'm joyful. So to me, A plus B equals C, something like that. And so I think, yeah, I think service is an inherent aspect of spirituality. Sometimes I will, I pretty much have God days every day now, so I don't ask so much, but I eat for a while. I would ask on a Saturday, because this was when I was working, I would get up and say, okay, this is a God day. And I would connect in my heart and say, all right, God, what do you want me to do? And so I was connected all day to that intuition, to that heart space. And I would follow the inklings, that little voice. Sometimes I would go to the grocery store. Inevitably, whoever I had an interaction with there was served because of the conversation. Sometimes, said Chris, I was told rest. And that's for me, one of the, that was one of the struggles for me was achieving balance by resting, allowing myself to rest, to be in nature. And Rich, that is one way to connect spiritually is, is through nature. It's nature, um, the great mystics tell us, this isn't coming from me, it's coming from people that I, whom I've read, um, that nature has the answers. And if we look around us, we can see that, yeah, we were kind of have done a great disservice to, our, to humanity and to the planet and therefore to spirituality by the great imbalance that we currently have. I did something about a month ago that was a powerful experience for me. I, I consider it relevant because to me it was a spiritual experience. 
where I sat down, I was in meditation or prayer, one of those. I just thought, oh, oh, maybe actually I was writing a poem. And I decided to take responsibility for absolutely everything that's happening in the world. Me as an individual, I am to blame. I am to blame. Choices that I have made have brought us right here to be right here where we are. And there was something that happened in that moment. I felt no guilt. I felt responsible, but I didn't feel guilty. And I felt I got hope come through and a sense of possibility that I was not expecting. Beautiful. So this, this, this is really interesting, but I wanted to ask, because I think it ties into sort of like service, but like in which I really, I really feel like one, if one is looking for oneself, if you serve long enough, hard enough, you will find yourself. That's my own take on it. You know what I mean? But tied to that, I wanted to ask, each of you about practice is there a practice for life or spirituality that you have is practice necessary is it not necessary and if it is been a part of your experience and maybe the why why or how has it been meaningful hmm. i have a few um practices i think the primary what what i go to most often is wonder um some people call it curiosity some people you know whatever that is i try to come back to that i wonder place i mean i was just a why kid everything was why 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 and so i studied philosophy but (laughs) um, I, i think there's value in in that um and it returns me to just a place of of openness to what I'm being presented with in a way that I don't try to immediately say this is that and I'm going to shove it back into its box and categorize it there and like shelve it. But I, I mean, there's lots of different analogies, I suppose. But yeah, wonder. Um, I'm also really getting into um, like resting practice, <laughs> practicing resting to, to the point that you said earlier. Um, Chris, I can totally relate to the idea that, you know, a lot of the service felt like it was because other people were more worthy than I was of, of care. Um, and maybe out of some guilt and certainly some shame for a lot of what, you know, I perceived to be the mistakes that I made and atoning. I've also had like the, the concept of martyrdom um, within spirituality is it, they're very intrinsically tied right like a lot of the stories are about folks sacrificing themselves completely and i'm not sure that's a a healthy narrative i'm I'm thinking it's probably not to the balance question betty like we you can't pour from an empty cup right put your own oxygen mask on first all those things we hear and also the perversion of that into like materialistic commodified self-care practices but rest really um has suffered a great deal in our culture, either because folks are striving for more stuff, uh, more prestige, more influence, more power, or um, because folks are trying to compensate for that imbalance on their own in ways that are self-sacrificing to the point of of completely depleting us. What aspects? What aspects of wonder and rest are you talking about? Like 
Um, you know what I mean? Um, because those are two things I do. You, again, you're giving me hope. I, I, because I, I don't have a practice. I, like I said, I'm a law. So I, I thought, if anybody, if I get, if I get guidance, it would be from this group. But, but wonder and rest. That, that strikes me as really profound. In what sense are they spiritually redeeming? I guess I'm just recognizing that that when I'm in those, when I when I'm practicing those things, those those behaviors, those ways of approaching the world, I am less prone to stuckness. <laughs> yeah. um, and and stuckness is usually, um, for me at least, a function of wanting to have an answer too quickly or being at a place where my capacity is so depleted, I'm not going to, mm. <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. get unstuck because I'm literally out of gas. Right. Um, mm. And so the way that I practice it, it's not like I have it on my calendar, whatever, like don't set a timer wonder mm. now. It's just when I, I, I feel in my body that I'm getting to a place of stuck. And then mm. I ask my body, to tell me what it is that I'm missing. And that's that's the wonder piece. And usually it is rest that I'm missing. It's usually that I've gone too hard for too long without refueling and that different types of, of mindfulness and wellness practices that are mostly informed by practitioners who don't get a ton of attention, but I will plug them here in case folks would like want to check into it. But like Adrian Marie Brown, um, an emergent strategy uh, and all of these kinds of offshoots of that work have been so incredible in my <laughs> world. Um, and also just from working, like I said, with a lot of young people who who naturally do certain things they couldn't name, <laughs> they just, but they just do them. Like I've learned from young people, it is totally okay. When you are done, just go take a nap, like rest. <laughs> like, <laughs> I talked to, well, I would, I used to laugh at them. I'd be like, kids, I'm like, what, what'd you do yesterday in school? They'd be like, I took a nap. Yeah. <laughs> like, Good for yeah. you. And everyone else is judging it and being like, did you get your homework done first? Did you do this first? Did you do that first? And I'm like, no, they took care of themselves. They listened to their bodies. They needed sleep. They got sleep, you know? And like, yes, thank you for that lesson. Yeah. <laughs> I thought during the, the early days of the pandemic two years ago, it seemed like the world was on a Sabbath and in relating to the, the question of rest. And I thought it was a positive thing. I mean, the, the dolphins were returning to the canals in Florence and such. The, the uh, pollution levels were reduced in India and mm -hmm. Los Angeles, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So in terms of rest um, and Sabbath, uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I would hope the world could at least maintain some of those teachings from the early days of the pandemic. Um, one thing is uh, uh, through this conversation, uh, uh, the question of dualism for me um, and non-dualism uh, with these questions of like definition of spirituality and reality of spirituality or connection between ethics and spirituality or question between uh, practice and spirituality. And I guess for me, the answer to those three questions would be non-dualism. In other words, mm. It, it, you're asking, like, how do you define or, or, or making distinctions between these two things? But uh, practice is spirituality, in other words, uh, would be my immediate response to that. Um, I would say I practice almost every waking moment. And 
my first experience with practice happened in, in memory was when I was a little girl. I didn't know that I was meditating. It was just something I did, but I didn't know that's what it was called. I would, um, it was a form of concentration and it was very inward. I would focus on my blood flow and my breath and then vibration. And the more I concentrated, the more expanded my consciousness became. And I became aware of things beyond myself. So now my practice, my practices include purposefully meditating. And prayer is important to me. It's important to me uh, because I feel it in my heart and very specific certain prayers. Although I, I had my own prayers, I would say for a while, that were given to me from a higher level. And that's part of why I, I was curious about the Akashic Records, because I had seen some prayers that had come through the Akashic Records. Breath, being aware of breath, is very impactful and imperative, actually. So breath practices. And being aware of, the, of relationships. I love what you said, Sarah, about wonderment. <laughs> Wonderment and rest is just so wonderful because it's like an openness and it comes from, it can only come from me when I'm not, when I'm in a space of unknowing and I, I'm not thinking, I know I don't know. And being around three young boys just is such a gift and a blessing because there is so much natural wonderment and curiosity and intelligence, you know, natural intelligence that comes through their beings. We talked, um, there was, you know, some reference to education too. And um, my daughter and her husband, as far as school goes for their children, they're following something called unschooling. And the boys are, they are learning who they are as spiritual individual beings. And yeah, there's competition, but there's not competition in terms of who they are in relation to each other. Like one is not, doesn't feel jealous of the other because the other one is an artist. The competition comes, you know, when they're playing and whatever. So, and I watched that and it's, I, it, it is a wonderment and a beauty to see and gives me hope because there are other people who are welcoming their children as individual beings as seeds that need to be nurtured and nourished to grow into whoever they are um, meant to be so I think that's beautiful so yeah I'd say my practices now are meditation prayer oh chanting I chant off a lot and sometimes a, a chant will just come through when I'm meditating that I'm to work on my practice includes purposefully often throughout the day, consciously connecting, 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 connecting through my heart to other beings and to the beingness that we are all part of. You think um, that the, those formative experiences you had when you were a kid 
becoming aware in those ways that you did, even though they, they may not have been formal meditative practices or anything, were they, were they, the, the did they provide sort of a groundwork for what, what you, where you are now spiritually and do, yes. and is what you do now spiritually a continuation of that? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. In fact, you know, like I kind of lost it for a while as a young adult and then I found yoga and practice and through practicing yoga and meditating, it started to come back that connection and, and experience on a vibrational level. And yes, I wanted those experiences. I remembered all these experiences I had as a child that were just so beautiful. They were they were um, revitalizing, revitalizing experiences, and I mm. kept them to myself. But yes, definitely, uh, Rich, to answer your question, it definitely impacted my choices as an adult when I started to seek the return. So this is actually difficult for me. I mean, I, I work as a spiritual guide and I do a lot of teaching. And if you take everything we've been talking about, connection with a higher power and ourselves, uh, to me, finding a purpose or a meaning that comes through the connections and then expressing it. Um, that's the goal. Practice is whatever gets me there. So ideally, on the mystical path that I'm on, your whole life is supposed to be your practice. And, and the goal is to, um, is to actuate that connection, to make it real, and to make it your life. Your life is an expression of those connections. So... Um, so I think what I'm learning is uh, there are as many practices as there are human beings. The other part I've learned is, you know, we all have strengths. So I tend to use my mind a lot. And um, people talk about their heart probably more than I talk about it, although I have one. Um, and I think what I found in my own experience with my own teacher and what I try to do with other people is you find your strength and you play to your strength, but your strength, this is so hard, can also be a block because we're multifaceted. So yeah, I, I have a very strong mind, but I can open my heart. And I had to learn things to do to do that. So yeah, I could, I could have a list of things that I'm supposed to do. Study, chanting, meditating. Um, but really, the, the more I've thought about it, my goal is to have the meaning that I feel is coming through the connections in my life with greater powers all around me, to have that somehow come through my being. Whatever will help me do that is what I should do. And that's my practice. So it, it's that, you know, find out what works for you. And your goal is bring the power and beauty of that connection through and whatever it takes to let you do that, that's what you do. I agree with you, Henry. And I think what Sarah said earlier about 
the connection with the body is so important. And oh, yeah. that was a relationship that I had to work on for a, num- a number of years. And I'm, I still actually need to work on it in terms of listening to my body and having a, a healthy relationship with my body, balance, you know, food, exercise, etc. And as far as the spiritual bypass goes, I wanted to be a vegetarian. Years ago, I decided to be vegetarian. Twice in my life, I decided I wanted to be a vegetarian. Easy for me to do because food, meat is not my favorite food. Both times, I got a very clear spiritual message. And what I mean by that is it came from a deep place and a higher place. You need to eat meat. You need to eat meat. You can't be a vegetarian. And so both of those times, I, I gave it up. I gave up being a vegetarian. And I had, the first time I became a vegetarian, it was because I thought that was the spiritual thing to do. Mm. So I, I can relate to what you're saying. One of the things that that brings bring up for me, if you don't mind, I'm just going to like reflect on some of what I'm hearing is that there's um, a dominant narrative in the culture that says if there's a right way to do it, everybody should be doing it that way, right? And it fails to acknowledge the non-dualistic thing that there's many, many right ways and there's a lot of both and going on. And it's not the one right way thing is my biggest pet peeve about our cultural story. Diversity in ecology is necess- is a, necess- a necessity. It is a necessity in every diversity does not equal like it's just the need to rank, right? We have this ridiculous need to rank, but that's again, it's it's a story we've been told. And it's part of the separation story. And it's part of the challenge that folks have feeling like what they are organically experiencing is spiritual because we've created a series of like practices, names, language, you know, gods, whatever, to encapsulate something that is a a universal human experience into ultimately brands you know (laughs) you're just shopping for different brands of stuff right but um we we seem to have no trouble with the idea that there can be a million different products that do the same thing but we have trouble with the idea that there can be any truths that are reflected in a lot of different expressions and still be the same thing um and then wanting to have which one's the best, which one's the most effective. You're like, we're selling it like soap, just like <laughs> I, it's really frustrating to me that we don't seem to get the analog there. Right. But the bottom line is we know what feels warm and what pulls us. Right. Um, there's a great quote, Reverend D who's like, uh, I love her, Reverend Deborah Johnson. Um, she says, pain pushes until vision pulls. And I think that that is a lot of what goes on in the world. When folks are searching, 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 it's pain usually pushing them. Mm-hmm. And vision, the epiphanal, like, boom, I get it now. The heartfelt experience, the fully embodied, integrated, yes, that's the pull, right? And so keeping vision, whatever that is, whatever, I mean, people experience ecstasy in a million different ways, not the drug, but they do that too, right? <laughs> but the, the point is, if music does it for you, cool. If hot showers do it for you, cool. Like it, of combinations of things. I've had the most transcendent, amazing 
epiphanal experiences in the shower while I've got music playing. Right. But that doesn't mean if I say this, I'm going to prescribe you a hot shower and the Avid Brothers on repeat. <laughs> it's not necessarily going to work for anybody else. I can share that experience. It's a great story. It's just it's one of many ways. The epiphanies that I have in the shower, it's crazy, but it doesn't mean I haven't had them elsewhere. I've had lucid dreams where I woke up and could not get this nugget of vision out of my brain because it was like embodied it wasn't an ephemeral thing that just like flew away it stayed and if it stayed and it kept repeating and kept coming back then that means to me it's part of a vision right um we're just we're taught that there are certain people who are specially selected to be visionary right and mm. that's challenging too it's just like the martyr thing these old stories tell right. us that there are these people it's not you right. you know they're mm. There is a specialness that is endowed upon folks, but not on you, <laughs> right? And then that that plays out in our relationships and it plays out in our power dynamics and it plays out in the ways that we put up barriers to connection and it plays out in the ways that we do harm to people, often unintentionally, but because we're not thoughtful, we're not intentional, we're not thinking about the ways in which our wounds are coming out to wound them because ultimately we believe somehow we're worthless, meaningless, pitiful creatures who have been forgotten right. by the universe, right? Like, And there's an, a lot of ugliness in the world. There is no doubt. And if it hurts, the pain might push towards something, like in, it's usually some sort of imitation. What did so-and-so do when they saw this pain? Like there, we have, I think, all of us, the capacity to recognize the ways in which we are uniquely suited to bring vision that will reduce, not just reduce, but replace the painful, harmful, cultural shit that we're all dealing with. Sorry for the swear, if that makes I sense. Love, I love what, thank you. I love what you said. I mean, we haven't, Yeah, I think you used the word religion once and nobody else has used it, but <laughs> religion has done so much damage because it's the one way and it's not the one way. And even within the religion, you can have multiple ways, you know, and I was on a non-religious path and even that was getting too narrow for me because it had to be this way. And, you know, so, you know, I lead group retreats, spiritual retreats, and I, I'll use a lot of music and we'll do the, typical we do chanting like betty was talking about and but i'll play tom petty because i'm in love with tom petty i think he's one of the i don't know i listen to him and i just fly and i use it as part of a spiritual retreat now i know some people aren't going to get off on him like i do but it's a group retreat right so you're never going to please everybody so the second reason I do it, so one, for me, it's an authentic experience. So that I think that's important. The second part is I am trying to push a point, which is it's everywhere. If the only time you're going to get high is you think it's when you see a beautiful sunset or you hear 
Beethoven or you're doing a spiritual chant, why don't you try listening to a piece of rock music and see if you'll get off on that? Because it made my whole world open up in terms of it's all, it's all around me. And then when I learned a little more about his biography and what he put into the music, no wonder people were getting it. No wonder he was such a great, you know, same with the Beatles. It's like, look at how they evolved. You know, from when they started to when they ended. Oh, my God. And, yeah. and what they provided to the world in terms of the experience of integrating different forms of music and, and growing up in front of everybody and having their struggles in front of everybody. Um, what a gift the universe gave us. If you say, I tried it and I, it just doesn't work for me, that's okay. But if you don't try it, or if you tell me it's not gonna, it's not right. No, I, I just don't, I just don't buy that anymore. So yeah, that exclusivity that you were talking about, Sarah, it, it drives me nuts. Pushing ourselves, allowing ourselves to try different things, but not being so rigid that if it isn't my way, then forget it. No, it, I just don't. Right. So I, with that, thank you so much, Henry and Sarah, Betty, Rich, Chris. I'm wondering if we could um, have a final go around about maybe reflections about spirituality. What is it? What have we, what do we take away from today or what, what final offerings do we want to give? Well, I can say that Henry said something that resonates with me and I'm glad I have an opportunity to share how it's impacted me. He used the word authentic. And if I were to articulate a goal that I have, it is to live my life as authentically true to myself as I am able to. And all of the practices that I engage in, I do because I love them. I don't do anything because I'm supposed to. I just love what I do. And in doing what I love, I love who I am. Thank you, Joel, so much for inviting me to be a part of this conversation. Betty, it's been a joy. Thank you so much for, for coming today and um, your insights, your experience, your care, your integrity. You know, I want to tell a quick story. My, um, this will be my, my final reflection, but um, when I was, throughout my life, I had this question, what is the matter with me, right? Like, had some memories that I lost contact with the experiences, very traumatic. This, this issue, like, uh, what is the matter with me arose? And um, I grappled with it very intensely for a long time. Had sort of like uh, a, uh, an insight transformation over the course of years, even decades. After I had sort of like worked on that for a long time, in a dream, teacher came to me of some someone that I never had met, but was a teacher at, a, at an organization that I 
um, am affiliated with. And uh, in the dream, the essence of what he taught me was just this, that everything matters. What is the matter with me? Well, everything matters. Well, just to, to just so that I'm not the last person to go, because I, I hate this August ceremonies uh, learning experience to end end on, on any note that I'd, I'd add. But um, I just wanted to say that I, I have spent an entire career now, um, uh, you know, as a professional philosopher and professional scholar, really producing research, publishing research that that no one will ever read or care about, honestly, at least of all me. I've shared my my angst with Joel about about all that. But um uh, the, and oddly, the reason I became the reason I, you know, I felt I went into philosophy as a calling is 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 precisely because I, I'm I, I, not to sound corny, I guess a seeker of truth would be the would be the best um, be the best um, adage for it. Um, but you know, um, I I really, in many respects, experience a lot of disconnect with that um, through through precisely the path that I chose to try to connect with it. And, and really what I've, I've sought to do more and more in my life is, is affiliate myself and, and listen in on and be in the presence of precisely people like you. Because for me, philosophy is ultimately about wisdom, not superficial cleverness um, and the ability to, you know, to, to, to say clever things and produce uh, clever scholarship that, that, that's going to impress people, but, but to, to truly reconnect with that transcendent ground and, uh, and feel at home in the world in some fundamentally, radically um, significant way, um, a final way. And, um, and I just wanted to thank, I thank both Joel and you, because honestly, after listening in on these um, these reflections you guys have had, which have left me with many, many more questions, honestly, from, from all of you. I hope we can somehow keep, keep in touch and connect because I'd really love to follow up on, on so much of what you've shared. I really would. Um, but after listening in on this, I, I do feel more at home in the world. Um, and I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for that. Um, this has really been a fantastic discussion. So thank you all very much. And I would love to um, as my practice, learn to somehow become as um, seemingly, I, I, I get the impression, comfortable with my path as you guys have seemed to learn to do with yours. Um, so um, I hope I can accomplish that. That's one thing I've taken away from this. And um, hopefully we can can keep in touch in some respect so that you can help guide me along that, along those, along those lines. But, but thank you all so much. I'm so honored to have you join us and uh, your very pointed care of others elicits such response and such thoughtful, provoking dialogue. I'm so appreciative that, that you're with us today and, and I'm appreciative, appreciative of our friendship, Rich. I feel like I took up a lot of space today and I appreciate everyone's gracious welcoming um, of my insights. So I'm gonna keep this short because I think I've kind of summed up already in, in a couple places what I'm pulling from this, but mostly what I just wanted to say and, and specifically to you, Rich, for having directed clear questions to all of us, like it added so much. And I, I just wanna talk about very briefly, this kind of discourse, like this kind of connected, you know, intentional conversation where 
some of the unexpected things were like, I mean, I don't think any of us knew what to expect exactly, but the tone of the thing was set, right? But we knew what we were going to coming in to talk about. But then curiosity, your curiosity about us raised our level. Like I feel, and, and that is, that's what happens when you're in relationship, right? Other people are able to mirror back to you what they're curious about, what they're fascinated by. There's no better feeling in the world than having someone be curious and fascinated about you, which is why I maybe, I think maybe why I am really intentional about being fascinated. I want to know what makes people tick. I ask people what their story is and I really want to hear it. But that's, I think it's, we're mirrors to each other in ways that don't only just reflect, but amplify what is spiritually present in all of us <laughs> so this conversation even over zoom i feel brought that out in really cool demonstrable ways and i'm grateful to all of you and i feel deeply connected to all of you and definitely want to be in conversation again i'm so grateful for all that you shared and said and uh the contributions that you've made and uh just grateful thank you so much so i want to thank all of you um you know i what, what's coming to me is um, how I got interested in Carl Rogers because I was in medical school and uh, I can't for the life of me remember how I ever had the time because I was really struggling with anatomy. <laughs> but uh, I knew I was getting interested in psychiatry. And at that time, I discovered that it was the only research-based psychotherapy that had outcome data that was worth anything. So that's actually how it started, which is very unlike me, but uh, and it just got me curious. And then I ignored it. Hmm. And then I go into psychiatry training and I nobody was teaching me about that till I got into child psychiatry. And I had a professor who was teaching, his teacher had been a student of, of Kyle Rogers. And I thought it was the most ridiculous thing in the world. And then years later, I took him out to lunch and I said, you know, I didn't realize what you were giving me. You know, it took me a while to fall into that. And I'm bringing it up now because he wasn't, he, he wasn't a mystic to start with. I think he was a mystic. He just didn't know it. And at the end of his life, he started talking about well, I guess we really do have to talk about the, it's the relationship that makes it work. And he's almost started talking about God. But think about it. He proved that to develop a healing relationship that helped people feel better, all you needed were three things, empathy, and you were genuine, and you had unconditional regard for the person. And all of that could be communicated in the relationship. That was it. And everything I studied, I realized was built on that. And I think that's what we're talking about, being connected in a real way, being empathic with ourselves and each other, seeing the, with all of our struggles and different opinions, that we're together on this and we respect each other and love each other and that it's really authentic. That's spirituality. Yeah, well, I concur with everybody. I mean, just uh, so loving and honored to be with all of you and 
really a, a deep relationship uh, and um, it would be hard to sum up everything that's been said. Uh, I guess one, an unfinished thought about the question of um, uh, practice. Uh, I was thinking of, um, like I, I live here at the network of religious communities and my whole pathway led me here in a sense of like different intentional communities and explorations of different different pathways, both intellectual and emotional and different systems of thought and different systems of practice. And then once I got here, I kind of let it all go. So it's a, you know, like you see a mountain and then you let go of the mountain kind of thing. So I, I've tried to experience that in terms of uh, this question of, of what is religion as a step to what is spirituality. And then even beyond that, it's even letting go of spirituality as a, um, so that's, uh, yeah, I guess I've never been so, I've practiced different disciplines. I fasted for, you know, a couple weeks. I've, I've walked on pilgrimages. I've studied scripture. I've, I've done a lot of service. I've done the practices that have led me to, uh, but I've never really stuck with one. Almost like mm -hmm. I'm partly a, an explorer chameleon and maybe that's part of my nature to, to do that, you know, and I've always like, you know, someone mentioned about like, uh, like, um, well, you mentioned Joel about like, what is wrong with me? Like in the terms of like, why am I not sticking with one spiritual path? But, you know, part of it is probably because I'm, you know, part of my nature is to explore a multiplicity of things. Um, but then at this point, even to let it all go and just be, just live as a human being, to just live as a person. Um, so that's where I'm at now. But in sum, I, I just say I want to love, I love all of you and I'm really happy to, to engage with you, to, to know some of you uh, deeper and to meet some of you for the first time. So uh, until the next time. Chris, thank you so much. And thank you for your, your uh, very sensitive and thoughtful contributions. Thank you.